1: WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
2: It's not enough to have confidence in your sword. You have to also be familiar with it. It's not enough to have a doctrinal statement in your mind that says, I believe the Bible from cover to cover. I just don't know it. I'm convinced that many Christians don't know how to fight Satan because they don't have a good grasp on their Bibles. So that when they are faced with serious problems, they don't know what scriptures to turn to for help. And you hear them say something like, well, you know, I know that somewhere in the Bible it says something like this. That's really dangerous.
1: IROC, or International Race of Champions, which recently disbanded, was a unique racing formula. Every car in the race was identical and prepared by the same team of mechanics. It was intended as a pure test of driving skills that took technology out of the equation. Every Christian has the same Bible. There are various translations but the message assuming you have an accurate translation is the same. But how well we handle the Word of God makes all the difference. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff is guiding us in an extended study of the armor of God is listed in Ephesians chapter 6. Pastor Steve has been serving for more than 26 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Paul called the Bible the sword of the Spirit, and for good reason. Like any tool, though, we need to understand it and practice with it to learn how to use it effectively. Here is Pastor Steve now to share with us how to improve our skills.
2: I remember Jesus was fasting, so he would have been hungry. And what Satan is trying to do is divert him from trusting God's wonderful daily care for him. By the way, when he says, If you are the Son of God, he keeps repeating that. In the original language, the thought is, Since you are the Son of God, there's really no doubt. Satan is not trying to say, well, you think you're the son of God. If you really are, then do this. No, he's saying, since you are God's son, shouldn't you be treated better? That's what he's saying. And Jesus responds with scripture verse 5 then the devil took him into the holy city that would be jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him if you are or since you are the son of god throw yourself down for it is written he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone now you realize what he's saying look if you're the son of god uh, god will protect you It'd be like like somebody uh, saying, look, do you believe God can protect you if you jump off of the the spire of, of this roof? I absolutely do believe God would protect me. Do I think he will? No, I don't. I think I'll die if I do that. And that's exactly how Jesus answered when he said, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Why do something ridiculous just to prove that God can protect you? If you stand in front of a speeding train, can God protect you? Absolutely. Is God going to do it? Probably not. Because that would be a foolish thing to do. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Verse eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now think about that temptation. Satan had to give him a vision a vision of the power and glory of the United States of America, of Great Britain in its greatest days, of Spain in the 1400s, all of that. And Satan said, I'll give it to you. If you bypass the cross, just worship me. It'll be yours. Verse nine, he said to him, or verse 10, then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now I'm gonna, not mention verse 11 yet. I just want you to see that Jesus always, always responded to temptation with scripture. And that is fascinating because you know what? He didn't need to do that because he is the word of God. He is fully God. Whatever he would have said to the devil would have had the same, would have have come with the same authority as scripture because he's the author of scripture. Would have come with full divine authority. Yet he still responded to Satan by using the word of God. He used scripture as a sword. And in doing this, he set an example for us in the way that we're supposed to use the Bible. Remember, Jesus is not just God. He's now man too. And in keeping with especially uh, the gospel accounts to declare his humanity, our Lord is giving us an example of how we as individuals are to respond to Satan. Now I want you to notice something that you might not get from just a surface reading of Matthew 4, but Jesus did not quote scripture in a general sense. That's what I want you to see as well as the fact that he did quote scripture. He didn't pull random verses out of, out of the hat. He knew exactly what he was doing for every time Jesus answered Satan. He quoted from one book of the Bible. He was quoting from the old Testament book of Deuteronomy, the fifth of the books of Moses. Now why Deuteronomy? Why Deuteronomy? It's very interesting. Deuteronomy was given by God to the children of Israel as they were about to enter into the land of Canaan. They had been wandering for 40 years, about 40 years, and they were about to enter into the promised land, and they needed to know how to live on a daily basis. They needed to know how to obey the will of God. They needed to know what the guidebook was to govern their daily walk, obedience and doing the will of God as they set up a permanent lifestyle in that land. So the purpose of the the book of Deuteronomy was to help the Jewish people to obey God and to be in his will. That's exactly where Satan attacked Jesus, the will of God. Since you're the son of God, get out of the will of God. Do this. Take some bread. Aren't you hungry? Why are you trusting the father to take care of you? Get out of his will. Listen, don't you think God wants you to take a little food right now? Every temptation was Satan's solicitation to draw Jesus out of the will of God. Don't go to the cross. Don't first suffer and then have glory. I'll give you the glory now if you just worship me. I will, I will exalt you to the point that you have all the kingdoms of this world. Everything belongs to you. See, it was, it was all an attempt to divert Jesus from the will of God, the will of the Father. And that's why each quotation of Scripture was appropriate, appropriately used from Deuteronomy, the, the one book in the Old Testament that deals with the daily walk of God's people in terms of, of that whole context. Jesus defended himself from Satan's attempts to get him off course in the will of God by using the right Scriptures. He, he, didn't, he didn't just quote indiscriminately. In quote from Leviticus, which is about worship, he didn't pull verses from Genesis, he used Deuteronomy. But in defending himself, Jesus also used his sword as an offensive weapon that caused the devil to retreat. Notice verse 11. After saying all this, notice what Satan did. He'd had enough. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. This is essentially the same thought As James 4, 7, where James says, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. Folks, that's exactly how we are to use our swords. When we bring appropriate scripture to our minds for the difficulties and the assaults we face from Satan, we are both resisting him as well as causing him to retreat. He will flee. Now, it's for a time. He'll be back, but he will flee. So keep using your sword, and the devil will. For at least a time will leave you alone. So you see, it's both defensive and offensive. It it is a crushing blow into his plan to divert you from doing what's right. So the sword of the spirit is specific statements of scripture, appropriate to specific attacks. It is a precision sword to be used in a precision type way. Then the question is this. There's a third question now that's very important. How Can we sharpen our skills in using the sword of the Spirit? How do you use it properly? I don't think you need to go to Bible college or seminary to sharpen your skills. It wouldn't hurt, but I don't think that's the intent. I want to offer you some practical truths. I want to offer you some biblical truths that will help you to use your sword more effectively. Number one, take note of this. First of all, you must have absolute confidence in your sword's ability to defeat Satan. If you think you have a defective sword, a sword in which the Bible has errors, a sword in which the Bible is misleading, you will never be effective in terms of of defending yourself. How do you gain confidence in your sword? Well, once again, I want you to notice that Paul doesn't simply in, in Ephesians 6 tell us that God has given us a sword. I purposely left this to the end because I want to bring this out. He calls it the sword of what? It's the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit. Which means, take note of this, it means that this sword originates with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune Godhead, is the author of this sword because he is the author of all Scripture. Now it's now it's true, God the Father as well as God the Son were involved in that too. That's why I said Jesus is the author of Scripture as well. But here Paul says that the Holy Spirit specifically is the author of, of scripture. Now what does that mean? Let's, let's look at Second Peter chapter 1. I think this is very important. You have to have confidence that the Bible is indeed the word of God and is effective. If you have serious doubts about that, it's all right to have some struggles with that as long as your struggles and doubts lead you to greater confidence. There is a difference between honest doubting and unbelief. Honest doubting ought to lead you to more study, and you'll come up with the right answers. That's why you can turn to any of our uh, pastors for help, any of our pastoral staff, any of our elders will be happy to help you on this. But in Second Peter chapter 1, Peter specifically tells us about the scriptures being inspired, and we have to rely on what he said because nobody experiences this now. I don't know what it's like to speak in an inspired way. Uh, we often use that word, well, so-and-so was very inspiring, but that's not the way the Bible uses inspiration. By inspiration, the Bible means that God God, uh, God breathed, that it comes from God. Uh, we certainly, as we teach the Bible, want to be accurate, want to explain Scripture, but I've never experienced, nor has anybody today, because the canon of Scripture is, is closed, no one today has, has ever experienced what it's like to speak like the prophets did. Now, I know that there are some who say that, but that's why we call them false teachers because they don't have a word from God. This is the completed word of God. And let's just see what Peter has to say about this. Verse 19, in in chapter one, verse 19, he says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure, or you could translate it, we have a more certain or more sure word of prophecy. Now, by prophecy, or prophetic word, Peter does not mean that, uh, prophecies that deal with the future alone uh, we often use that term prophecy to speak of of uh, foretelling something that was predicted and happened but really the term prophecy or prophetic word means any words that come from the prophets it could be just forthtelling. it might be predicted but it might not so he means we have he's talking about the bible here We have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That is to say that you better pay attention to God's revelation, which is the Bible, until Jesus Christ, the ultimate revelation of God, appears again. But know this. Now, in order to have confidence that the Bible is indeed the word of God, Peter says, know this, first of all. Here's the first thing he wants you to know. That no prophecy of scripture, no words that ever came from a prophet is a matter of one's own interpretation. He doesn't mean your interpretation or my interpretation. What he means by this is that when the prophets spoke or when they wrote, they didn't give us their opinions. It's not their own interpretation. Literally, the word means uh, to, to unravel or untie. They didn't untie their own religious beliefs. That's, that's, by the way, is a very liberal perspective on the Bible. Liberal theologians would say, well, what we have in, the, in Scripture is man giving his opinion of religious attitudes of his day. Man creating in, in his own world his view of God. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible claims to be. It's not what the Bible proves to be. Peter is telling us that no prophet ever gave his own opinion when he wrote or spoke scripturally. These words and thoughts found in the Bible did not originate with man. But notice he says, they're not a matter of one's own interpretation. Then what are they? Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever made as an act of human will. It never originated with the man. But men, and he means now the prophets, the ones who wrote the Bible, men, notice this, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God, what a great statement, this is inspiration, how it worked is still a mystery, but they spoke from God, in other words, the writers of scripture were so controlled, so dominated by the Holy Spirit, and that by the way, is what the word moved means, it is used elsewhere in Greek literature, as well as in the Bible, to speak of a boat that is driven and controlled by the force of the wind, completely at the mercy of the winds, wherever the wind sends it. These men were so dominated, so controlled by the Holy Spirit that what they wrote down and what they said were the very words of God the Holy Spirit. The mystery of all of this is that the Spirit of God did not violate their wills so that these men wrote in their own vocabulary, their own style, Inspiration doesn't mean mechanical dictation. God so super controlled them, so super governed them, that without violating their own style, their own words, their own background, their own vocabulary, yet what came out were the very words of God. That's why it is an incredible mystery. So when you read Paul, especially in the original language, he's a little different than than Peter, Luke is very intricate, very, very uh, complex Greek. John is rather basic. You might not pick that up in in English, but that's what inspiration means. That's why when Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, he says all scripture is God-breathed, he means the same thing. Except there, he's not talking about the process of inspiration. There he's talking about the finished product. All that you have on the pages before you from Genesis to Revelation is the product of the breath of God. It is all God-breathed. And Peter is telling us the process by which God who breathed out his words got it down on the page. He so controlled, dominated these men that what they wrote, what they wrote down was precisely the words that he had breathed out. No errors, nothing fallible, all inspired, all of God. So listen. Here's the point: If you're ever going to use your sword properly, you must have confidence that this is a divine, supernatural sword. It's not. It's not another another uh, uh, pragmatic approach. It is a sword that you must have confidence in. Listen, don't be afraid to use the Bible. Even in hostile environments, even in settings in which the Bible isn't believed, it might be ridiculed and certainly not even respected. It is still the word of God and it still cuts sharply because it is a two-edged sword, scripture tells us, even when men reject it. I am, I am so impressed with how when John MacArthur has been on Larry King Live, how have you noticed that even when they have other Christians with him, uh, very few times do these other men go to the Bible. And yet that is continually what MacArthur does, going back to the scriptures. Why? Because he understands that what you use in situations like that is the word of God. You use your sword. Whether those men... Uh, don't believe it or not is not the issue. It is still the word of God. Let me illustrate it this way. If somebody broke into my house and put a gun to me and I said, you know what? I really don't believe that that gun is loaded. In fact, I may laugh at it. It's such a little thing. You know, can't you get a big rifle? And I may poke fun at it. It really doesn't matter what I believe about that gun. If it's loaded and he points it at my head and fires the trigger, I'm dead. It doesn't matter what I believed about it. It doesn't matter that I ridiculed it. It doesn't matter that I disrespected it by calling it a little gun. The same thing is true with the the sword of the spirit. The Bible will still cut. It will still convict. It will still protect you. It will still deal with false teaching and false ideologies. Even if those around you don't seem to embrace it. This is precisely how Jesus used the sword. There are many times in the gospel accounts where our Lord was, was uh, tested by men who wanted to trip him up, and he always came back to the Bible. Remember, for example, the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection, gave him this, this whole concocted story about, well, this woman was married to this brother, and he died, and when she went through seven of them, who was she going to be married to in the resurrection? Remember what Jesus said? He said, you know what? You don't know the power of God, and you don't know the scriptures of God. And he proceeded to tell them the Bible every time they try to cross him up, he came back to the word of God. Folks, that's what we're to do. That's what we're to do. So you must have confidence in your sword. Secondly, it's not enough, though it's a good start, it's not enough to have confidence in your sword. You have to also be familiar with it. By that I mean, it's not enough to have a doctrinal statement in your mind that says, I believe the Bible from cover to cover. I just don't know it. And that's what many people do. That's what many churches do, have this broad doctrinal statement, but nobody really knows it. They just, you know, they have it there. I'm convinced that many Christians don't know how to fight Satan because they don't have a good grasp on their on their Bibles. So that when they are faced with serious problems, marital issues, moral issues, pride problems, uh, they don't know what the scriptures, uh, what scriptures to turn to for help. And you hear them say something like, well, you know, I know that somewhere in the Bible it says something like this that's really dangerous. Here's what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones a generation ago had to say about knowing our sword. He wrote, and I quote, the sword is provided for us. We have an open Bible, but we must know it. We must know the whole of it. It is not sufficient merely to learn certain proof texts. You must know your whole scripture. Observe how our Lord quoted the book of Deuteronomy. He obviously knew the whole book, We must be soaked in scripture. We must have it at our fingertips, as it were, so that when we are tempted, the appropriate word comes to us. The spirit gives it to us. He leads us to the word scripture. He enlightens us. He will lead us and guide us. We must not content ourselves with reading a few verses and imagining that when we have read our daily portion, we have truly studied the scriptures. We must give it, we must give time to it. We must get down to the depths in it. We must read the whole of the Bible and be really steeped in the knowledge of its every part. Then at any given moment we shall have the appropriate answer and the enemy will not only will not only be repelled he will be discomfited and he will flee from us. Now that's all good and well to say but such a grasp of the Bible de- demands a plan. Demands a plan. Will you have a plan to read it? Will you have a plan to perhaps read it through in a year? Five pages a day and you can read your whole Bible in a year. Do you have a plan to get up a little earlier? Stay up a little later? Stop watching television so that you can read the word. I don't mean you have to forever stop watching but don't watch it as much. Uh, Put down the newspaper, put down some other things. You're going to read the Bible. If you don't plan to do it, it won't happen. They don't want you going here saying, "You know, that was really really helpful." But if you don't put it into practice, it's not going to be helpful. You need to have a plan to study it. Well, where am I going to get some books? Think this through. Who am I going to borrow from? Who am I going to If you borrow from mine, you got to bring it back, by the way. Who what books they have in the in the library? What books can I can I read? What do our pastors recommend? What about memorizing? Is there a plan? What what verses would be good to memorize? What about meditating on these verses? Can I take a little card with me to work and in spare moments, take them out and look at them? What about going to sleep at night? What do you think about? Do you meditate on the word? See, when you do this, you'll be a skilled swordsman. That's what it's all about. Let's bow for prayer. Do you have confidence in your sword? You must have confidence to use it properly. And you must have a plan to get a better grasp on the Bible. Now, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you don't need to concern yourself with having a grasp on a lot of Bible truths. You need only concern yourself with one truth, and that is the message of Christ's death. Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty of sin. He died for sinners. If you know you're a sinner, if you know you're a sinner, then you need to turn from your sin, whatever you're aware of is sin, and trust Christ to save you. Not your good work. Salvation is a gift. So I I urge you to consider that. And any way we can help you with that, we we would be delighted to do that.
1: If you don't already have a plan for reading and memorizing Scripture, I hope you'll begin that practice soon. Thank you for listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside Community Chapel for over 26 years. His messages come to your radio through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry enabled by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you. You can hear this and other verse by verse lessons on your computer at our website, versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to order a CD or a cassette of this entire two-part message, call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number And we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. Paul listed one more vital spiritual aid in Ephesians chapter 6. We might feel pretty good about ourselves with all this armor, but there is one more vital ingredient for success in spiritual warfare. I hope you'll join us for the next Verse by Verse as we consider together the value of prayer when confronted by the enemy. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse.
0: We are here to give you strength between.